This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 27, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. President Trump's attempt to defund so-called sanctuary cities must contend with some facts. One is this. State and local law enforcement are under no obligation to enforce federal immigration laws. David Beer, immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute, explains why. I've spoken with uh, our colleague Alex Narasta about the distinctions to be made between sanctuary cities and the so-called secure communities. But uh, in news reports that I've read, there is this, uh, I guess, presumption that because the president of the United States wants state and local authorities to stop doing something, that they are somehow compelled to do so. And in this case, uh, the, the news reports that I've read indicate, well, these state and local authorities, and some words are in some ways, are scoff laws by deciding to continue the policy of being sanctuary cities. Well, that's entirely wrong. Uh, the states and localities have the right to enforce the law however they see fit. Um, under the Supreme Court case, United States v. Prince, the Supreme Court has said that states are under no obligation to enforce federal statutes. And that case dealt with gun rights. And uh, conservatives were really on the other side saying, we absolutely have the right as uh, sovereign states to not enforce federal law on behalf of the federal government. It's the exact same situation here. He can't force them to do what he wants. What does that mean for uh, cities that are hearing uh, the looming threat of having some funds for some uh, purposes from the federal government uh, restricted if they don't go along with these plans? Well, that's certainly a very real threat, and it's one of the things that he has talked about doing is taking away federal grants. In fact, the executive order that he issued uh, yesterday would ban uh, states and localities that don't cooperate from receiving federal grants. Now, it doesn't specify what federal grants, but if it is all federal grants, that's likely unconstitutional as well. The Supreme Court in the Obamacare decision actually said that uh, the federal government cannot take away all Medicaid funding uh, in order to force states to expand Medicaid eligibility. So really, all federal grants would include Medicaid funding. So that would definitely be unconstitutional. But uh, even if it was limited to law enforcement grants, you're talking about something that impacts the safety of the citizens of that uh, community. So in that case, it's probably also unconstitutional. But of course, this hasn't been tested. So we'll have to see how it goes. And at the very least, a political challenge. If you're saying, uh, how dare you release these uh, people into the wild, so to speak, uh, you're making your own communities less safe. You're making other people less safe. So we're going to restrict law enforcement funds to make you even less safe. Yes, it is sort of an odd message. And you know, it really conflicts with the idea of federalism that uh, many conservatives and Republicans have been advocating for years on this specific issue. They argued uh, vigorously that Arizona should be able to uh, help the federal government if they choose with immigration enforcement. Why should California not have the right to restrict the use of uh, of their own jails to detain people that the federal government wants to uh, remove from the United States. And I've seen this line of argue, argument being used in other contexts. For example, when uh, states legalize marijuana, 
Um, some people say, oh, well, you're violating federal law in doing that. Or if the president, uh, former President Obama had said, well, here are some new, uh, new guidance on dealing with guns in your communities, and sheriffs jump out and say, well, I'm not going to enforce this rule. Well, no one's asking him to. Exactly. So ultimately, it's about using the resources of the states and localities how they choose. And so we've seen a lot of these cities with large immigrant populations saying, hold on a second, I'm not going to take up our jail space for nonviolent immigration offenders when we're trying to promote public safety. And so really that's what the federal government is asking these states and localities to do is to say, we're going to use our jail space to uh, help you enforce these immigration laws against people that Honestly, these communities want to keep these people there if they're not criminals. So I've asked uh, other people about this. What is the economic argument for making a big public show of becoming a sanctuary city? Well, ultimately, you want to attract people to your communities. So a lot of these uh, these cities that are losing population have really gone out of their way. Baltimore is an example of this. They've really gone out of their way to encourage immigrants to move there, to say, look, we're going to have immigrant-friendly po- policies in our community. And, you know, it's there's a public safety argument, but there's also this economic argument that goes, we really need these people if we're going to expand our tax base, really expand our economy. And, uh, some communities have felt that that is an effective way to promote economic growth. What do you make of the list of countries that uh, President Trump has singled out as countries from which we will not accept refugees and may not, uh, I'm not sure of the exact terminology, may not allow any people from those countries to get visas to the United States? Yes, yeah, so the draft executive order that's been floating around and, and the administration sort of uh, seemed to indicate that, that it was a genuine draft uh, would prohibit all immigration of all kinds from seven countries, and those are Syria, Sudan, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Iraq, and Iran. And it's an interesting list because it actually excludes the uh, countries. Uh, from which uh, all of the 9-11 hijackers uh, came to the United States from. So the list is really uh, sort of a political move to show, you know, I'm getting tough. I'm, uh, I'm trying to enforce this Muslim ban idea that I floated a year ago, and uh, really not based on credible, uh, you know, intelligence that these these countries are more dangerous than any other countries. In fact, if you look at the data, uh, as my colleague Alex Narasta has, the, these seven countries have actually produced no terrorists that have ever killed anyone in the United States. And so it's, a, it's sort of a strange argument that these seven countries are the ones that really need to be singled out when you have U.S. citizens committing uh, terrorist acts and you have uh, people from Europe committing terrorist acts. But uh, these seven countries are the ones that really are being singled out. And, and leaving aside the fact that several of these countries are ones where uh, significant numbers of U.S. bombs have fallen in the, just in the past year alone. Yeah, so it's uh, again, it's interesting where you know it's a situation in which I would certainly argue that the United States has created much of the problem in Iraq 
and Syria uh, in particular. I mean, you're talking about a situation in which we have been heavily involved. Uh, we invaded Iraq. We created a civil war there and really destabilized that region of the world. And now we're going to say, okay, now it's all your problem. And it has nothing to do with us. We're not going to take any of the people fleeing the persecution of ISIS or the bombs of Assad. Uh, we're just you know, going to wash our hands of this situation. It's, it's, a, it's sort of an odd stand to make. All right. So how likely are these uh, orders uh, going to stand up? Obviously, uh, you cannot compel state and local authorities to obey uh, federal law or treat federal law as their own uh, mandate. But uh, what about the other elements? Well, I think uh, the president does have the authority to limit uh, refugee admissions to the United States or, uh, or guest workers or student visa holders. Uh, his authority is pretty clear that he can uh, restrict entry for those individuals. It's less clear for immigrants who are coming here permanently, who have uh, sponsors in the United States, their spouses of U.S. citizens, uh, for example. Uh, those people, the, the law is pretty clear on this, that you can't ban people based on their nationality. Uh, that type of discrimination was banned in 1965 uh, by the Immigration Act of 1965 that said, we're going to treat all countries equally. And so the president should not be able to restore that type of discrimination um, without a, a change in law from Congress. So we'll, we'll see. I, I expect that there will be a lawsuit that uh, is brought to uh, prevent that portion of the order from taking effect. David Beer is an immigration policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.